What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. We gon' make it all the way. We don't care what they all will say. Don't listen to the hate, no. Listen to my hate, yo. Destined to be great, yo. What's up, everyone? Myself, Derek, here today with Eric Morita. Eric is a 2018 grad of the University of Toronto. I've been working with Eric. We actually just finished up, but we worked together for about a year in his practice. I'm really excited to have him on. He has already accomplished some great things, and I think there's a lot of takeaways for others that may be in a, a similar situation. So how are you doing today, Eric? I'm good, Derek. How are you? It's great to be here. Good. Glad to have you. Before we, uh, you know, we'll get into some questions and talk about some different things. Do you want to share a little bit of background about yourself, where you come from, and how you ended up in dentistry? Sure, yeah. I graduated in 2018 from the University of Toronto. I am Canadian. I grew up fairly business-minded. I don't have any family in healthcare, but I do have family in business. And so growing up, I always knew that I wanted to be my own boss and, and own something of my own. In D1, D2 summer was when I really started looking into ownership and learning a lot through Dentaltown forums. And that's where I originally met you, Derek. By D4, I was feeling pretty confident, almost closed on a deal on an office actually while I was in school, but it ended up falling through. And so I kind of resolved myself to associate for maybe about six months to a year, figured I would keep looking for offices. And three months into that, another opportunity came up and I jumped on it. So I closed on my current office three months after graduation, which was September 2018. Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I I actually didn't realize that you were in the Dentaltown group, Ambitious Dental Students, until... We actually started working together, I think. <laughs> and I said, are you? Because on there, your name, you're Eric the Red. Eric the Red, yeah. And I think you've got like a Canadian flag. <laughs> I have to... Hockey Canada as, as my uh, profile picture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's funny. Yeah, because I saw you post after. And then I was like, wait, Eric, is this you? <laughs> that's pretty funny. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up getting into ownership so quickly. I mean... I don't know what it's like in Canada, but in the U.S., you know, in my class of about 90, there were only three of us that purchased practices right out of school. What was it like for you during dental school? Were there any other students like that or, you know, what propelled you to be different and to, you know, take some of those steps at that point? Yeah, I would say it's definitely a rarer thing here too. My class was 120 students and we only had myself and one other, a close friend of mine actually, who purchased practices out of school. But I think for me, it was always just being in the mindset of knowing that it was something I wanted to do. And that kind of led all my other decisions from there. I think, you know, when you know that you want something bad enough that you find a way and, and the universe finds a way to help you achieve that. And just knowing that I always wanted that and surrounding myself with the right people and learning from the right places is really what led me there. And so when I graduated, even though I was associating, I, I knew that I would keep an eye out for offices. And, and that's just how opportunities present themselves. Yeah, I love that you said that. I mean, it was your vision and your goal from the beginning. All too often, you know, a lot of us just kind of let life 
happen and just kind of just take us wherever we go. And yeah. a lot of times as dentists, we, uh, you know, a lot of us kind of consider, you know, we've made it once we've graduated and have become a dentist. And that after that, you know, there's the automatic income, the automatic lifestyle. It doesn't happen that way. It's a very intentional process. Yeah. yeah I think it's easy to, to get comfortable if you don't necessarily have a, a long-term vision. One of my favorite quotes from Paulo Coelho in his book, The Alchemist, he says, when you want something, all the universe conspires in helping you to achieve it. And I think, you know, I think a lot of people have probably heard some version of that quote. A lot of successful people have said that quote in different ways. I think Oprah calls it the secret and, you know, the power of positive thought and beginning with the end in mind. That's Stephen Covey, one of his seven habits of highly successful people. So I think it all starts with that is having a vision and putting those thoughts out there and being intentional. Yes, I totally agree. You know, there's a lot of different kind of thought processes on that. And I did read Oprah's book, which Justin has very kindly made fun of me for that. (laughs) And I don't, I don't actually believe that the universe actually changes things, but I believe that we change ourselves, that we change our mindset and we see opportunities and we're, we put ourselves in situations that we otherwise would not have been in. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if it was another version of that is maybe it was Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan who said, the more I practice, the luckier I get. So I think it's, you know, it's just being intentional. Yeah. Tell us a little bit because jumping into ownership is always difficult. There's always going to be challenges and hurdles to overcome. What would you say were some of your biggest hurdles or, you know, difficult things that you had to overcome in your first year as a dental practice owner? I think at first, say the first three to six months for me, it was a lot of little things. I think it's impossible to be prepared for everything. And even though I felt confident going in, there was always something that would come up, you know, that I didn't prepare for, that I didn't learn in school whether it was dealing with insurance or even dealing with equipment in the office and learning how to work certain things and, and change certain things or send faxes, something as simple as that. I remember one day changing the toner on a fax machine took me almost a whole day because I I had no clue how to do that. And that's the kind of thing that when you're busy with patients can, can really stress you out. So all the little small things at first, the first three to six months, that was the biggest struggle for me. I'm lucky that I was surrounded by a good team who who had some experience and was able to handle a lot of those things for me. But being the kind of person myself who's almost at times obsessive, I found it hard to delegate a lot at first. And that was a big struggle for me. And I know that was something that we talked about early on, Derek, was, was learning to let go, especially when you're coming out of dental school and you're used to doing almost everything yourself and being very independent. It's important to learn to rely on your team because that is a huge, huge factor in, in being successful, especially in dentistry. Moving forward after that, I think after six months, when I started getting more comfortable with delegating and the little things, and I started realizing that, you know, we're doing pretty well and I'm happy with where we are. That's for me, the biggest challenge then became dealing almost with an imposter syndrome. It was difficult for me to, you know, to say, what do I do next? I've already surpassed some goals that I've set for myself can I keep this going? How hard can I push this? How far can I go? Am I, am I asking too much? And should I just be happy with what I have? And that was the next three months. So between probably six to nine months, it was dealing with that was a big challenge. And that was another thing we talked about. And 
I think it, you know, it always just goes back to being grateful for what you've accomplished, but staying focused and, and moving forward. And over time, I've learned to, to cope with that a bit more. Yeah, I think you have some great points. And I want to get into that more. But first, tell us a little bit about how you change things. You know, when you talk, when you say that, you know, you reached success and some of your goals more quickly than you thought, what were those? What were those goals? And what did you accomplish? So when we first started, Derek, I remember, you know, we went through the uh, the goals checklist there, that goal sheet. And originally, when I first purchased the practice, and when I first created my goals, my initial thought was that I'd be happy if I could maintain the same numbers that the previous owner was doing. He's a fairly experienced dentist, 20 years experience. So I figured if I could even maintain that, I'd be very happy with myself. And in one of my projections with the bank, I, I even saw that, you know, if I dropped 10 to 15%, I'd still be okay. In our first three months, we grew actually by about 20%. And then in the next three months after that, we had grown 30% relative to that time last year. And as of now, we've grown about 60% relative to this time last year. So at that time, when I saw, you know, I'm, I'm growing between 30 to 55% relative to what the old owner was doing, that's when I started thinking to myself, well, he has 20 years experience, you know, is this, am, am I asking too much of myself? Is there something that I'm forgetting that, that makes it look like I'm doing better than I actually am? It's those little kind of toxic thoughts that, that crept into my head. And I think that's where you kept me grounded a lot and, and made me realize that, things are working well because we're being intentional about tweaking the things that, that we want to tweak to get the results that we want. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think a lot of us can actually be scared of success at times because, you know, some of us have, you know, been raised by parents that, you know, maybe said, taught us that kind of money, too much money is a bad thing. Or, I mean, you hear dentists talk about, uh, you know, the more successful, the financially successful dentist is just being money hungry. And, you know, you hear a lot of judgment thrown around. And so I think a lot of dentists have almost this fear of success in that way, because, you know, it's associated with a lot of negative things. Okay, so now that you've now that you've shared that talk a little bit more about, you know, what you were saying with when you had those thoughts and started to have kind of some of those negative feelings. How did you resolve that? And how did you allow yourself to keep high goals or even to continue to raise them higher? So first and foremost, I, I think being grateful for what you already have achieved. I think gratitude every day is, is, you know, something I like to practice, even if it's just five minutes a night, just going over the things I'm grateful for. So the first step for me to, to accepting it was accepting what I already had and being grateful with what we've achieved myself and as a team in our office. And then from there, it was just a matter of refining the goals every month and adapting ourselves to, to what we now saw as the new reality. Also encouraging the team too to see that as the new reality. And coaching kept me grounded a lot with that. I think it's one thing to write down on paper at the start of my coaching last this time last year. I remember writing down what I hope to achieve. And, and it's one thing, I think, to just write that down for yourself and say that you'll achieve it. But actually having someone hold you accountable every month and writing it down and sending that to someone and saying, this is what I'm going to do. And, and you're going to check with me every month to make sure that we're taking the right steps to achieve that. That was the next big thing that helped someone to, to push you and someone 
to a large extent also to relate with because, I, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you're a fairly new owner yourself. So a lot of it, we were in it together. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, talking a lot about, you know, some a lot of similarities between your practice and mine. But yeah, I, I totally I totally agree with that. Uh, just the fact of, of being accountable to someone is going to really accelerate your success and, uh, you know, help you make sure that you carry out those actions. Yeah. And, and then I think from there, you know, once you have your bigger picture of of what's possible and what goals and, and, you know, you break it down into a daily thing, then it's a matter of working out your systems and, and working out your team and working out your schedule to actually achieve those things. Yeah. I think that's a great point. If you want to eat an elephant, you got to do it one bite at a time. And in ownership, I mean, like you talked about in the, in the beginning, it's very overwhelming and there's a lot of, a lot of things that need to be done and need to be learned, but essentially the most important thing that you can do is make sure that every single day that you're getting one step closer. It's too easy to just kind of sit back and just kind of watch things happen and become an observer rather than an active player and a leader in our practices. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience with leadership? Did you have any experience with leadership or running a, any kind of a team beforehand? And, and what was that like in, in your practice? I did have a, a fair amount. I was very involved in, in student government growing up. So I always always was involved with something, with some aspect of teamwork and leadership in that regard. Never truly a business, but I think a lot of the skills are transferable. And probably the biggest disconnect was not actually being a leader, but being a leader who was actually a lot younger than the rest of my team. And at first, it, you know, you can see that you know, people are a bit hesitant. It's a new dentist and he's really young. Patients are hesitant, obviously, because it's someone new and, and the staff get hesitant because of that too. But once they see not only what you can achieve as a practice, but that you can create a cohesive environment and an environment where people really like to work, I saw that buy-in and you can see the, the attitudes change. Yeah, I think that's very true. A lot of times in our practices, you know, we get really excited and, and fired up about things, but depending on our our team's response to things, you know, sometimes that can change. I think in, in my experience with leadership, one of the most important things that I've learned is to is to listen. A lot of times we come in and we want to implement certain things and, uh, you know, whether we think that we know it's the right decision or not. And there have been times where I have, you know, been really excited about a decision. I present it to my team and I hear concerns, which I think is pretty much normal in, in almost every change that you're going to make. But I've got two options at that point. I can either lay down the law and say, look, this is, this is what we're going to do. This is my business. This is my practice. And so you're just going to have to suck it up and, and do it. Or I can at least listen to the concerns. There have been a couple of times where it's actually kind of saved me from some yeah. headaches. When you allow yourself to be confident, but also to be humble and to listen, it allows you to lead your team in a new way. And I think your uh, employees respect you a lot more when you're able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely agree. One of the things on my, when I first started, we, we created a team agreement essentially together. And one of the big points of emphasis on there that I included was if you're going to be a part of this team, you have to accept that 
you have to have the courage to share your feedback with others, regardless of if it's me or if it's someone else on the team. And you have to have the respect to receive feedback and, and respond to it appropriately. So I think listening is a huge thing of that. And one of my policies has always been being open to share feedback with me. And, and that's something that I know the staff appreciates a lot because it's they tell me that they feel comfortable sharing those things with me. And other than that, I'd say a big one too is, is just praising publicly in front of patients and in front of the rest of the team. That's a That goes a long way. Yeah. When did you have your team sign that statement? Basically the first week, <laughs> way back in September. That's great. So they really kind of started out with that vision and some of those things from the very beginning. Yeah. So uh, we've talked about kind of some of the struggles and challenges, but what have been some of the most rewarding things for you as far as owning a practice? For me, number one is definitely having skin in the game and something that I own and that I can control. I love the feeling of knowing that when I have a challenge, it's within my power to control it. For me, probably the worst feeling in the world is a challenge that I can't do anything about. And in ownership, even if it's a difficult challenge, I know it's always something that I can directly affect and directly control. And even if it's going to take me a long time to overcome it, at least I can do something about it. Yeah. That's the biggest thing for me, for sure. And I think that just ties in with being able to see the reward of the impact of my decisions. When we make a change, there's cause and effect. And and you can see that the results of that directly with what you do. It's interesting to me because you were an associate in this practice for a few months before you bought it, right? Yeah. So your income from going as an associate to an owner, what would what would you say it multiplied by? Probably about four, maybe five or six times. Yeah. So it's interesting to me because when I ask you what is the most one of the, some of the most rewarding things about owning a practice, your number one thing was not <laughs> was not the income. It was the fact that you have ownership and you have control and, a, and an ability to make changes when you want to. Yeah. I think that's interesting because a lot of what we talk about in the lifestyle practice, I mean, obviously we talk about income because it allows us to have freedom, but that ultimately, you know, when we put all these things into practice and when we have that aspect in our life where we feel that we are in control, that, you know, we're not going to just look and say the insurance networks are bad and it's more competitive and there's more, there's more DSOs out there. Whenever we do that, essentially we're saying we have no control. You know, there's all these external factors that are limiting our success. But what you've just said is that your favorite thing about owning a practice is that you're not going to make any excuses and that you're, you're basically going to take ownership and be able to make changes where you see fit. For sure. Yeah. And I guess, you know, ultimately the big picture of what the practice will help me to achieve in my personal life and my family and my goals is a big thing too. But having the skin in the game is what encourages me to make the changes and see the rewards. And I think along the lines of what you said, another favorite quote of mine. It's my signature on Dentaltown actually is winners analyze and and losers criticize. And I think that can apply to any situation. It's, It's easy to find excuses. It's easy to criticize something, but if you want to be a winner, you analyze it and you learn how you can, how you can capitalize and make the best out of that situation. 
Totally agree. I've felt several times when I've looked at, you know, some kind of thread, whether it's on Dentaltown or some Facebook group of someone posting and sharing something that they've done well or something they've seen good results and instantly get a lot of negative feedback. And, uh, you know, I've experienced this too, as I've shared, you know, I've, I've talked before about on the podcast about uh, being able to pay off my student loans relatively quickly. And I had someone that on Dentaltown that, that criticized me pretty heavily and said, you know, basically that it was imp- my claims that I was making were impossible. And that I, <laughs> the only possible option is that I'm lying. I was very respectful about it. And I, you know, they had a list of like, 25 questions or something like that. And I spent a lot of time, you know, typing out replies and answering everything and really kind of sharing some, uh, you know, some personal details about, you know, what had allowed me to reach these things. And even later, they still continued to criticize and say that I must be a liar. So, and the whole time I'm thinking, man, if only these people could realize that they should be asking questions and trying to learn. I mean, exactly what you're saying. Instead of attacking the guy because, you know, we feel like guilty that we haven't be able to, been able to have the same success. Man, let's let's ask questions. Let's figure out, you know, what, what changes can I make in my life to, you know, to be able to replicate some of that success. So, yeah, I, I, I totally, you know, I really appreciate that perspective that you have. Yeah, absolutely. This has been really cool to get into to some of these things. What advice would you give to others that are thinking about, you know, what, when is the right time to get into ownership? You know, is there a clinical minimum, you know, experience that someone should have? What advice would you give to people that are kind of considering ownership? Yeah. I mean, as far as a clinical minimum, it's probably hard for me to say, cause I know I jumped right into it. Certainly I'd probably recommend that you feel comfortable with, you know, your main bread and butter procedures, but it's not like I came out of school feeling supremely comfortable with, you know, with every type of every different root canal and and implants. I didn't place any implants in school. So it's something that still I'm not totally comfortable with, to be honest with you. Even now, molar endo, I I don't feel 100% comfortable. So there's definitely I'm still learning all the time clinically. And I think that's part of dentistry, but probably just a baseline comfort bread and butter procedures. And I I would imagine that most people should be able to get that out of school with your basic restorative crown and bridge and removable prosthetics. But other than that, about considering ownership, I'd say, and I, I mean, it's something I keep saying is, is just begin with your end goal. And it's something that you guys emphasize a lot too. And if you feel that ownership lines up with your end goal, there's no reason that you can't go into it and you can't achieve it. If you feel that you want to commit yourself to that thing. And that lines up with your long-term vision for yourself and, and for your family and for your situation. So I'd recommend that, that people take the time to think about that big picture and what they hope to get out of their career. And in a lot of cases, ownership will probably line up with that. If you like the sound of, of freedom and being able to control things and to a large degree, you know, having a bigger effect on, on your income and, and what you can take home, then there's no reason you can't start now. Even if you wish you started two years ago, you can start now and, and make the most out of out of your current situation and, and get into it. So you're telling me that you grew your practice by, so what was the total percent that you've increased? Now it's about 60% compared to this time last year. So you've increased your practice by 60%, but you don't do implants and you don't really do much molar endo. Is that what you're saying? I don't. 
I routinely refer, well, all my implant placements right now are referred. I've restored less than five. <laughs> and most of my molar endo are referred. I haven't done a molar endo in some time. I think that's a great point to those that are really kind of considering those things. I think that's one of the myths that I hear a lot of times is that, hey, you've got to be able to keep as much in-house as possible. There's definitely benefits to that, but you definitely shouldn't delay ownership just because you don't feel comfortable with a certain procedure that you know you think is going to... Yeah, I think if you've decided that ownership is right for you, you can always find an excuse if you look hard enough. I don't do ortho either, for the record. I don't do any of that. So there's always going to be opportunity to learn clinically. I think that's the beautiful thing about dentistry is it's lifetime, lifelong learning. And you, certainly you can always still improve and, and later on decide to do certain procedures. But there's no reason that you can't build a great practice with bread and butter work just by improving systems and scheduling and teamwork. Totally. I know that one of the things that we talked about a lot was working out of multiple operatories, when to hire another assistant. We had times where we'd go through your schedule and look and basically look at everything and then reschedule all of those things, you know, kind of from scratch, trying to make the schedule more efficient without you feeling any more stressed. So what I'm hearing and what I want a lot of listeners to hear in this is that you don't have to always do all of those extra procedures in order to grow a practice. You're a prime example that some of those main things, you know, ortho, endo, implants are things that you haven't been super comfortable with, yet you've still grown the practice very considerably in, in just a year. So I think that's, I think that's a great example. Yeah, absolutely. And to give a bit more of a profile here, I, you know, not like we have a, a huge practice. We're only four operatories and two hygienists. So nothing crazy. That's for sure. You, you don't need a, a 16 op practice. Yeah. Okay. So if you had to pick your top two to three principles or, or things that you could attribute your growth to, what would those top things be? So number one, probably getting the team on board. And that's something that Justin and yourself talk a lot about. So developing systems for the team and, and how we discuss things with patients. Some people have called it co-diagnosing. It's almost just priming the patient for, for what to expect and being upfront with them about what we see. So I think that's a huge way of of making patients aware of what's going on in their mouth. Because it's shocking to me how many patients will say, I love this practice now because you guys actually tell me what's going on in my mouth. And that's crazy to me to hear that people just want the truth about what is happening. You know, taking photos, letting them know what we see. If the hygienist is in there with them, just doing their cleaning before we go in for our recall or before I go in for my recall, taking a photo and saying, you see this tooth here? This is a cavity. Dr. Eric's probably going to talk to you about a filling. Or you see this tooth, it's cracked and it's broken. Dr. Eric's probably going to talk to you about a crown here. Even just seeing the photo, a lot of patients, I mean, it was news to me because you learn in school to be very thorough, but it seems like a lot of patients aren't familiar or, or aren't being told necessarily everything that's happening. And they really appreciate, even if they choose to do nothing about it, at least to, to know the truth. 
Yeah. And I think that's something that's important that a lot of dentists, the majority of the time, we just, we just don't talk about things. We just don't bring it up. We're afraid of what the patient's going to think. Yeah. And it's easy to get caught up, but once you make it into a system and it's just something that's done every time, it it's just becomes automatic. It's second nature. So I think that's the first big thing. The second one scheduling for sure. So one of the things like you mentioned, Derek, that we talked about, obviously in school, I, we only worked out of one operatory. And so I came into this office, the previous dentist was just working out of one operatory. For me, learning how to, to schedule more around provider time and, and out of two operatories really did a lot for helping our capacity and, and seeing more patients and making us more efficient with what we do. And then as far as a third thing, I think just goes back to mindset just every day, you know, keeping the goal in mind. I think it's really easy, especially in dentistry, to have a bad day or a bad week and feel down on yourself. And by the same token, it's also just as easy to have a really great week or a really great month. And then you get comfortable and you take your foot off the gas. So it's always just reminding yourself what your big picture is. And it can be something as simple as, you know, the background on your computer or just keeping keeping a note for yourself or an alarm for yourself every day at the same time. Those are some great things. Well, I really appreciate having you on, Eric. It's been really good. And I think one of one of the things that, you know, I've tried to to share, and I think you'd probably say the same, is that, you know, some of these other dentists that kind of look up to us and see a lot of this success and, and growth and everything, we're really we're just kind of normal dentists. I mean, you've had sixty percent growth in one year, but really kind of showed and kind of detailed some of the systems and, and leadership and different things that you've put in place, put the hours and the sweat and tears into it and uh, really have, have made a lot happen for yourself. So congrats on that. Thanks, Derek. Yeah. I mean, I certainly feel like a normal dentist when I, when I look on Facebook and I see some, some big cases that people are sharing it, I definitely feel normal, but I'm happy with what I've achieved and if anyone has any questions, by all means, you'll, you'll find me on Facebook. I'm in a lot of the, the dental Facebook groups, so feel free to reach out to me and I'm happy to chat some more. Awesome. Well, thanks, Eric. Appreciate your time. And for our listeners, if there's anything you want to ask to Eric, you can post on our Facebook page or find Eric. We'll put, uh, I'll, I'll spell his name because more Yusef <laughs> spelling is not the, it's not commonly misspelled. Yeah. 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 So uh, everyone feel free to reach out uh, to any of us, Derek, Steve, or Justin at thelifestylepractice.com. We're happy to hear your questions or any ideas, things that you'd like to hear about more in the future. So thanks, Eric. Take care and uh, hope to hear from you again. Cheers. Thanks a lot, Derek. Listen to me.